The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I am one of your hosts, Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Empirical Wealth Management, headquartered in lovely downtown Seattle. We are broadcasting with Ethan Broga, also sitting with me. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. And Eric Lair, our Director of Research. Good afternoon, Eric, and thanks for joining us. Absolutely. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. We want to help you grow and preserve the capital that you have worked hard for. Ethan, mm-hmm. if you wouldn't mind sharing our contact information and, and uh, divulging a little bit about how we can help individual <laughs> investors out there. Well, that, sure. Uh, no matter where you are, there we are. I think I'll give out our, our, our phone number first okay. here at the beautiful Empirical Towers in downtown Seattle. You can reach us by calling 206-923-3474. And in particular, if you're looking perhaps for a second, something as simple as a second opinion on your existing portfolio, we'd be happy to do some, uh, some free analysis there to see where you're at relative to where we think might be some good ideas to be. Uh, if you're in retirement or, or entering retirement, uh, we also have, a, as I've told people before on the show, um, we have a pretty good program for folks like that especially, um, a program that integrates very well the investments, the tax planning that goes on in retirement, along with your cash flow or retirement plan. And uh, we'd love to show you how that works. We also have a free workshop coming up in October. Actually, it's Saturday, October 26th at 11 o'clock in the Edmonds Conference Center, uh, which we'll be going over the six secrets of a successful retirement. Again, many of the tax strategies that go along with uh, with uh, proper retirement planning. If you'd like to come, feel free to re- make a, a reservation on our website, and uh, we'd love to see you there. Um, so give us a call. Sounds good. And um, please uh, shoot us an email or give us a buzz throughout the show if you have a topic you would like us to talk about today or in future shows. And if you have a question for you specifically that you'd be willing to let us uh, address on the air, we would love to do that. Sounds good. Great. Well, guys, there's a lot going on in the news um, around our somewhat dysfunctional government mm-hmm. and uh so i thought maybe we could do a quick recap of the market and what's gone on here with the returns year to date and this week and today and then uh we could share ideas around what all this means to investors i think it sounds good and ethan if you have any any good planning opportunities as we get we're getting closer now we just finished up the third quarter so we're in the fourth quarter 
and final quarter of the year. And if there's uh, any planning advice you have along the way, I thought we could sure, we start sharing between now and the end of the year what investors and individuals out there can be doing to uh, wrap things up for the year. Okay, that sounds good. Tax ideas. Or, right. Uh, yeah, that'd we be certainly could. Cool. Are we going to talk about the uh, markets first here? Just your yeah, let's, let's do that. So okay. today the market was down. A uh, variety of, of not so exciting news today. Um, not the least, I think, uh, which affecting the market is the continued shutdown and an impasse in Congress mm-hmm. and our government. But uh, the Dow was down about 136 points, closing at 14,996 for the day. Uh, that's about nine tenths of a percent decline for the week. We're down about two percent, a little over two percent, and now that puts us at um, uh, year to date. We're positive on the Dow, fourteen point four four percent, and over the last twelve months, we're up about eleven. Mm-hmm. And if we broaden that, look at a little more diversified index to the S and P five hundred. The S and P dropped about the same today uh, in percentage points and. Puts us year to date up seventeen point seven percent, so still pretty good for the year. Yeah, really good. Uh, and for the last twelve months, fifteen point six nine, not too shabby. And if we look across the different asset classes, we'd see that every, pretty much everything, all the broad asset classes, including the foreign markets, were down today, uh, a little less than the U.S. market. But if we look over the year to date numbers here, what we see is. Um, the EF index up about 12%. The Emerging Markets Index still down year-to-date, down about 6.27%. On a global basis, if we look at a World Stock Index, up 12.83%. Gold continues to uh, maintain its loss for the year, being down 21% uh, for the year. And uh, crude oil is down about almost 2% for the year. We look at interest rates, Ethan. The uh, five-year Treasury this week, one point three six. That's lower than last week at one point four four. Yeah. So they've come down a little bit. They really have. Ten years at two point six one, down from two point six five last week. And um, we've got five and ten-year AAA corporates, five-year at one point six nine on the yield, and ten-year AAAs at on average three point four two percent. Both of those are also down uh, from last week. Mm-hmm. And real quick, we look at 30-year mortgages at 4.27, down a couple of basis points from last week. And uh, real quick, check in on the uh, inflation-protected treasuries. We've got the 10-year treasury, inflation-protected treasury, or TIP as we like to call it, positive uh, yield, 0.43. And so the break-even on the 10-year um, inflation rate is 2.18%. Wow. A little something you like to track there, Ethan. Uh, for the year, small cap U.S. is still outperforming large cap. We've got small value up 21%, small growth up about 32%. So growth doing a little bit better year-to-date. Um, and that, uh, I think, covers the broader markets. Ken, I think it's uh, just, as you mentioned, we get the S&P is up almost 18% this year. Other asset classes are up more. And uh, I think that's interesting given, uh, I guess, maybe that might go against the perception. Uh, We've had, what, how many, four or five debt ceiling crises. Um, The media seems kind of panicked and frenzied. 
these days. And through all that, we're still having a really good year. That's true. And I think a lot of people may be worried about, will we continue to have a good year if the budget, uh, if the uh, debt ceiling issue turns into a fiasco similar to what we're going through now? Um, Our advice, traditionally, maybe skip to that and then go through the details of what's going on. Is that something we want to do, guys? It's reasonable. Um, Our advice on that is making sure that you've got the right time frame and you're putting things into the long-term perspective of where where do equity returns come from in the long run and it's going to be from economic growth. And in the short term, these types of government issues can certainly, there are, I, I believe, certainly can cause a disruption and, and some um, uncertainty, which is brings down confidence and can bring down spending and other things. Mm-hmm. But over the long run, it's pretty hard to stop the, the economic engine that drives the stock returns. And, and in a lot of cases, if we look at the last time we went through this, um, stocks stocks dropped, but they, they came back as earnings came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really have to think about it in terms of, hey, I, I may be able to avoid some short-term decline here. And we talked about this probably a couple months ago when we knew this was coming forward, that either if they were to have resolved this issue and then the debt ceiling issue, the market would have continued to do what it's it's been doing, right? Um, Hopefully unfettered. But you don't know that in advance exactly. And to move out of stocks, particularly for a position that's a long-term investment, you do present yourself with a lot of risk, and that is getting out at the, at the right time and getting back in at the right time. Um, so if you do get out, the key thing that you need to make sure you do is get back in at some point uh, if you want equity returns. I think that's absolutely right. And an example of this at the debt ceiling crisis we had at the start of this year, the end of last year, uh, the markets right before New Year dropped quite a bit, and as soon as they had a resolution, markets went up, you know, two, two and a half percent in one day. Uh, and if you had been out of the market, you would have missed all that. I mean, I think within a week or so, they erased most, if not all, of the losses. Mm-hmm. And if you just, if you're on the sideline, you you might miss part of the drop, but you're going to miss the comeback as well. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, the timing those things are really, really difficult to do practice i mean um in hindsight things look pretty clear pretty easy but in reality it's uh, really tough to get in and out at the right times to make that decision profitable um it's better by far to understand and and accept basically that hey you you really can't time the market that well and and therefore invest appropriately so have a balanced portfolio if you're in retirement and taking money out of your portfolio don't have all stocks and or be in all cash it's the balance there that's the secret because if stocks decline then you have you can tap into the bond piece for, for a period of time as stocks recover. Other than that, I think being diversified is, is really important. Looking at the numbers for just the, since September 1st, I have the asset class returns here. Um, U.S. stocks have done okay over that period of time, about four, four and a quarter percent. Again, since September 1st, looking at things like uh, international small cap value, actually up 10.3% for the same period, wow. right? Uh, and looking at emerging market stocks now from the same period, up about uh, high single digits, 9% for emerging market blend. You know, those are more than double the returns offered in, the, in just the United States over that short short period of time. 
and uh, obviously is why you should diversify. Sure. And of course, if you if you're in the situation where you need to be taking out a large amount of your portfolio, you know, you're you're, you're retired, you're you know, you you don't you don't structure your portfolio to where you're going to be affected by these short-term movements. Right. I also do this. If you're if you're not retired, if you're currently saving, saving for retirement or saving for other purposes, um, discontinue your regular savings. Don't let things like this derail your long-term plan. Consistently put money in uh, to your long-term investment approach, and it will pay off over time, right? So that's another thing for folks who aren't retired or aren't taking money out currently. If you're saving toward retirement or other purposes, stick with your plan. Don't let these types of headlines uh, derail your investment plan. You know, one of the things... I was talking to a group of investors the other day, and we were talking about how should you how should you react in terms of what's going on in the market, and um, or should you react to it? And one of the things that I'd say is, well, you you certainly can recognize what the market is presenting you. For example, is the market expensive? Is it average valuation? Is it cheap? What do fixed income or the other investment alternatives offer? So. Each investor, I think, has a range of portfolios that would get them to where they want to be. Yeah. And with different levels of, of comfort, for example. Um, we could be very, very we could be very conservative in certain situations if we had a surplus of funds that didn't require a high rate of return. And right now, you're not going to get a, a high rate of return in fixed income. It, it's just not available at this mm-hmm. very moment. Now that could all change very quickly interest rates do rapidly increase. But uh, my point would be that if you recognize that, and you said, well, at a point in time where interest rates or the hurdle for equities, which are risky assets, uh, if the market presents me opportunity to invest more heavily into fixed income, say we got a portfolio where we could generate 8 to 10% in fixed income without taking a lot of risk, well, that would certainly be worth considering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, you know, I, I, I believe a dynamic approach to reviewing your asset allocation makes sense in those situations. Sure. I think we've got to take a quick break. I, I do have more to say about that, but um, let's take a quick break and we'll come back on Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P. I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Health costs companies a lot more than just benefits, premiums, and health plans. Think about the underlying cost with not having healthy employees in the program investing in the future. Creating Wealth Through Health 
Host Susan Doherty will discuss employee wellness programs, how staying healthy affects the bottom line, and how to get your team engaged in better health as a way of life. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back uh Welcome back to the show here, our second segment today. And uh, if you'd like to give us a call or shoot us an email, uh, join the program. Feel free to do that. We can be reached at uh, contact at empiradio.com or, uh, again, at R8 at 866-472. Oh, we have a caller already. This is fantastic. 5790. That's 866-472-5790. Yeah, you'd think I'd have that... Uh, Phone number memorized by now, but I got to look at the sign still behind Ken there. That's all right. That's all right. Anyhow, anyhow thanks for uh, for joining us. And uh, Ken, we were just uh, talking about um, some some approaches to taking money out of the portfolio, right? And what, how to structure things during difficult times. Yeah, I was saying that if you took a dynamic, if you're going to take a more dynamic approach to adjusting your investments, there's a prudent framework, I think, to set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know. We would do this, I think, more on a client-by-client basis than as a general, say, you're sending out a newsletter right? Um, and saying, get out of the market today, get back in tomorrow, right? Or reduce your equity. I, I think it really would be a situation where you look at what you're trying to achieve and you need to understand your time frame. And if you said, hey, I, I have a certain threshold or budget of risk and certain, certain individuals have a wider or bigger budget, um, and others have very little room for risk. They, mm-hmm. they, they have very room, very little ability to have a, a wide range of outcomes at the end and, and still be successful. So it's more important to have the stability, even if that stability means there's a lower rate of return, mm-hmm. to optimize their chance of not running out of money earlier than they need to. Right. And so just coming back around on all this, where this, how does this fit in with the government shutdown and the, the debt ceiling issue that's going to be coming up here shortly is that, hey, there may be short-term uh, volatility. Well, there, there should be short-term volatility in the market, and this can create instability and uncertainty. And if it does go on for an extended period of time, certainly will affect the prices of stocks. If you, however, were looking at your time horizon and you said, hey, I've got quite a long time with a particular group of money here, one idea is to say that the hurdle rate for equities relative to we were just going over the 10-year treasury rate, right? It's yielding still very low, 2.61%. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you said, what, what do equities have to do over the next 10 years? It's not a huge hurdle. Now, if that 2.6, like I was saying, was 8%, I'd say, hey, wow, you know, that, that's a different, that's a much higher hurdle that equities have to have to jump over in, and, and the amount of risk they, they you take with those to do that, you may view that, that decision differently. 
Sure. And so if you were looking at adjusting your portfolio, one opportunity here would be if the market does take a huge decline, I'm not saying it will. I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly what it's going to do. I know it'll be volatile. And I know if the news is bad, it's going to drop. But if the news turns out to be better than expected, mm-hmm. or we get a quick resolution, which the way things are going, that that may not be um, exactly how it's going down. But the market. One thing I've learned in the entire time of doing this is I never. I'm always surprised by what actually transpires, um, mm-hmm. and. But one opportunity, Ethan, would be to say, hey, maybe I will move some of the money out of my lower-paying fixed income into my equities because the opportunity has presented itself um, for a period of time, particularly while the hurdle rate is very low going forward. To me, that makes a lot more sense than just randomly pulling in and out of the market based on day-to-day market news. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if you have a, a balanced portfolio, half stocks, half bonds, let's say, um, given the current yields on those bonds and given the current uh, or historical returns on equities, boy, you'd think it would be a reason to own a little more perhaps stocks than you might otherwise. Uh, if there is a big market pullback because of the things going on in Washington, um, it, it would be reasonable again to sell some, some bonds at some point in time to buy some stocks perhaps when they're, they're cheaper than they are today if that was to transpire. I think in any case, what you want to do is stay away from extremes. I, I think I've said this before. Thinking that you know what's going to happen and placing all your chips on that particular outcome is not a good idea. In my view, you should not be in 100% stocks or 100% bonds or somewhere in between uh, constantly. You, you stay within a pair, usually a pretty narrow range. So if, if you're a half-stock, half-bond portfolio type of person, that's your correct asset allocation. Staying within plus or minus 10 to 15% of that number most of the times is probably the best thing for you. Because you're, you're not placing large bets one way or the or the other, and over time, likely to get the best outcome, in my view. Right, right. So you're not you're not you know rolling the dice, think, yeah. thinking you can predict what's going on. You're you're making you know you see an opportunity, you might wait a little towards that. Right. But you're not going to just bet throw the your old, you throw your strategy out the window. Right, right. And I think part of that confidence in a strategy comes from understanding again again how markets work. And you already said it earlier in the show that. Hey, stocks go up over time as, as economies expand across the world, right? That in itself is a, is a fundamental truth that if you accept, it makes you invest differently than you otherwise would, I think. So, good stuff. Well, if you, yeah, you, you realize that the returns that you're generating over the long term are not, are not a result of day-to-day market news or right. even what's going on in Washington. On or your day-to-day. ability to predict it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, I was just, I, th- I thought... Quick, we could quickly talk about well, what what exactly did happen um, with this whole government shutdown thing? Just so we're all on the same page, that you know the September thirty deadline, um, which they had known about for a long time, and it <laughs> it's right is very irritating. And I was telling Eric and I were talking about this. That no matter what political party you're in, it's almost something where you say, let's just get rid of all of those guys and put new ones in, even if it's the same person, but they shouldn't be rewarded for this ridiculous behavior. Um, anyway, we're we're in a situation where um, the House Republican leadership had sought to introduce a clean bill that would fund the government for a few months, but the conservative the Tea Party wing of, of the Republican Party demanded that appropriations... Uh, that the appropriations bill remove funding for the Obamacare. 
so this is what's driving the issue we have with, with this government lockup, that it's a condition that the president, who's been on TV here quite a bit, um, is saying, hey, that's unacceptable. We're not going to do that. And the Democratic-led Senate is also completely in agreement that they're, they're not going to compromise on that. Um, so then they, the House inserted new conditions, including the deferral of Obamacare for a year, and sent the bill back to the Senate. And once again, the Senate said, hey, we're not going to accept changes in the, in the Obamacare. And so then the, here we are with the government shutting down, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, the thing that's being pointed out in the media here quite um, repeatedly is that while certain functions of the government are shut down, the very thing that they're that they're trying to stop it actually launched. I believe it was yesterday <laughs> um, because they couldn't defund that. It's it's not it's not part of um, that part of the the government spending. Um, so anyway, it, it it can't be stopped without a full legislative repeal, which is which is not going to happen. No, I mean that's not going to happen ever. I mean, in in the near current future, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. And it, it already passed the House, the Senate. President signed into law, and then the Supreme Court also said, "Hey, it's it's okay." And this all happened over a couple of years ago, over time anyway. Right. So it's a little bit surprising that this is still the issue, in my view, that they want to talk about. Yeah. Well, and as you pointed out, uh, Ken, it's the government shutdown does not mean the entire federal government stops working. It's non-essential personnel. So, you know, national parks are closed and, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, uh, like the EPA and NOAA and yep. things like that are closed down, but, right. uh, you know, Medicare checks, social security checks, all that stuff are, uh, the military is still being paid. Mm-hmm. So this is just non, I guess this would be the discretionary funding is being cut off, but, a large part of the federal government is still operating. Sure, and and, and part of that is the, you know, the, the Health Care Act. The majority of that is still functioning. Uh-huh. There, there will be, and there was a report that came out today um, from the Department of the Treasury, which I have in my hands right here. The potential macroeconomic effect of debt ceiling brinkmanship, and basically they go on in this report to talk about the pretty severe economic uh, impact of the government not agreeing to raise the debt ceiling. Um, but I think the bright side, from what I've read from other analysts out there, are um, hopefully this, whatever political statements they're trying to make with this Obamacare and political certain political parties are trying to get recognition, um, won't carry into this debt ceiling situation, that they will be able to get that resolved relatively quickly. Oh, yeah, they're separate issues, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's that's something that we should clarify. The the government shutdown is because they couldn't pass a budget, and that had to be done by the end of September. Mm -hmm. Uh, The debt ceiling is about paying uh, the interest on treasury bills. So they're, they're very different issues. They just happen to be uh, you know, coming up at around the same time. But they, they shouldn't be confused. Yeah, I, had a, I heard something the other day um, 
on the radio is uh, I forget what show it was, but they're talking about the, the debt. You know, it's something like sixteen trillion or thereabouts the U.S. Uh, debt, uh, federal debt, and uh, the owners of the debt. This was what was interesting to me. About ten million, ten, 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 sorry, ten trillion of the total was owed to people who are here in the states. Uh, I think not just people in the states, but other um, or entities or thereabouts, other including the Fed, for example, federal government entities. Right. So, in other words, domestic. Yeah, but I, I don't think that even counts um, individual holders. Okay, I right. Think so that, I think it's just other government entities. So it would be even higher then uh, in terms of the domestic ownership right. of the federal debt, the bonds base that were issued to pay for it. Right. Which is interesting. A lot of folks, I mean, clearly there are lots of folks in the world who own treasuries as well that are not in the U.S., but the vast majority still is. Uh, and it was they were talking about Japan specifically and how their debt was is like 100, 222% or something of uh, GDP, which is very, very high. Almost all of that is, is domestic debt, mm-hmm. which is, uh, inter- I mean, interesting anyway. Yeah, I think there's there's sort of a misperception that, uh, you know, all of our debt is owned by China. Right, exactly. And that's, that's just really not the case. Right, right. Some of it is, but yeah, not sure. the majority even. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, do you have any other thoughts or comments about how to navigate through this uh, time period? I don't know. I, I mean, in terms of the, the, the article you mentioned here, Ken, or the, the, the white paper here on the potential macroeconomic <laughs> effect of debt ceiling brinkmanship, it really would be a colossal problem, I think. I mean, to have the, um, for this reason, the U.S. default on their debt is... Un- almost unfathomable. Like we'd volunteer to have that happen. It kind of blows my mind if that's even being considered. Right. Right. I mean, that would be the U.S. Treasury bills are viewed as the safest asset in the world by most people, and, and right. for us to default on our debt would, but volu- by just by choice, right, uh, would, would throw financial markets into. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. No. Um, how much time we have for the break here, guys? We've only uh, got about a minute or so. All right. Sorry, I was just flipping through this. Um, why don't we get ready to take a break here, Ethan, and uh, when we come back, I'd love to talk about any uh, ideas you have on the planning and maybe we share a few more uh, investment ideas, that I things I've been running into okay. as I'm meeting people and um, that I think could be improved on. And whenever I, I meet people that are making decisions in a certain way, I, there tends to be more. Mm-hmm. So I think it's relevant. Um so we'll take a quick break, but uh, if you want to give us a call throughout the week, you can reach us here at Empirical, 1-800-923-4307. We'll be right back after this break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. 
The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith and Eric Lear. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Eric. Hey, always glad to be here. Yeah. Hey, in this segment, Ken, I think uh, do you want to summarize or you have other other thoughts on either the uh, debt ceiling or the article that you had on that specifically, or should we move into a, a different discussion? I think summary being that what's going on has been no big surprise, and I think that um, I wouldn't make quick reactions to. Even if the market does decline further from this point, mm-hmm. I would, I would likely view it as an opportunity to rebalance and purchase more equity than I would getting out of the market. Um, so that's my advice. Mm-hmm. That's what I would be doing personally. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. All right. Um, all right. You want to talk about some uh, year-end strategies, that sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah, let's 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 talk about that. Did you have a specific example of uh, somebody that um, you were talking with that sparked this idea, or do you have something uh, on your mind about that? Oh well, there's a couple of things. I mean, as as I've been meeting with people, you, you're doing this your your retirement educational events, mm-hmm, right? And uh, you talk a lot about Roth conversions and how powerful utilizing a Roth can be. Yep. Um, and I I'm Seeing that as I'm meeting individuals, that the use of the Roth is is been a lot, uh, I guess, less utilized than I would have than I would expect for how long it's been out. And you, know, you do a little trivia question about well, when did the Roth? When was the Roth originally created? Yeah, it was the first year it was available, and uh, I believe it was 1997. That's what my understanding and, is as well. Um, so we're. We've had this vehicle for quite some time now, and it's gotten more exciting in terms of how you can use it with the limitation on income being removed and um, a few other things around how you're navigating the the use of not just contributing to a Roth, but also we got a shakedown here. (laughs) We have have a situation now. We're 31 Uh, floors up, and we can hear uh, almost like it's across the street. Anyway, yeah. it, uh, how you can utilize that to shelter or protect your your wealth on an after-tax uh, basis. Mm-hmm. So some of those strategies. What what are we dealing with here in the last quarter in terms of timeline on contributions, but also this idea of taking money from pre-tax IRA and converting it 
into um, you yeah. know, into a taxable into a Roth. I'm sorry. Well, one thing uh, coming up is the deadline for if you if you converted money in 2012, you have it until October 15th of this month to keep or not keep your your original Roth conversion from 2012. In other words, if you you can't recharacterize or put the money back or undo the conversion after the 15th of this month for 2012. So this is your last opportunity. I wouldn't expect there's many people doing that because the market's been pretty good in general. Unless you bought something that went down in value over that period, you probably would just keep the conversion. Uh, so, Eric, something you have something to say on that? Yeah. Can, can you talk a little more about why you would want to yeah. undo your conversion? Yeah, sure. So let's say, for example, you um, – um, here's a good example. Let's say you converted $10,000 of uh, the gold ETF in 2012. Right. Well, in 2013, the, uh, the gold ETF is down. I think something along the lines of 15 or 20 percent, something like that, year to date. We have that number right here. Yeah. So let's say it's down 20 percent. You converted ten thousand dollars. It's only worth eight thousand dollars now. And uh, so you have the choice. You actually can put that money back into the IRA to prevent you from paying tax on something that currently is only worth eight thousand, but you're going to pay tax on ten thousand. So that's called a recharacterization, just putting it back into the IRA from which it came. And that from the IRS perspective, it is as if it never happened. Um, all that has to happen for you is you have to file an amended tax return to do that. So that's one possible possibility. Um, most folks, I would expect, however, uh, hopefully have enjoyed positive returns over this period of time. But that's just one example. Uh, another thing, if you haven't done your Roth conversion yet for 2013, boy, I think now is a pretty darn good time to do it. You know, the market's down here recently. Um, I don't know that I what will happen in the near term. Maybe it could go down further, but certainly it's well off its highs uh, and it's, it's a reasonable opportunity to convert money to a Roth IRA right now if you haven't done one already for 2013. Um, you still have until you know the end of the year to decide to keep it and then uh, obviously you could, that decision rolls into 2014 you know, by October 15th. That's the actual drop deadline to keep the conversion or not. So it's a reasonable good, good strategy. Uh, you have a long time to figure out if you want to keep it or not, basically. Um, so, those are some ideas. Um, if you uh, just look, thinking of other things, um, one of the things I like, particularly if you're, you're married and you have a, you have both spouses that have an IRA account, and let's say you do a conversion today, but let's say the market continues to drop over the next month or so, or maybe even two months before the end of the year. Um, so the asset you converted is now worth far less than it was when you actually made the conversion, putting it into the Roth IRA. Well, that's not a great situation, and clearly you want to want to pay a lot of tax on something that's worth a lot less now. But what you can do is that at the same time you undo your conversion, you can convert the same asset in your spouse's IRA account. So in my case, if my, I convert something from my IRA to a Roth IRA, I undo it because it goes down in value. I can't re, uh, do another conversion in that same year. That's the way that it works to the same IRA. So what you can do, though, is have, if your spouse has an IRA, convert assets there to make sure you get to keep um, take advantage rather of the conversion in any one given year. Because once it goes, once it's, the year passes, you can't do anything about it again. So if you indeed it's, it's appropriate for you to convert assets now, you definitely want to make sure you can do it. Right. So how would that strategy differ from, because what you can also do, each individual could open up, say, five different Roth accounts, right. take their pre-tax IRA account, and say they were going to, Ultimately, they wanted to convert ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. They convert fifty thousand dollars into ten into each of five yeah. Roth accounts. Right, that's exactly right. They invest those differently. Mm-hmm. So maybe one's all bonds. Yep. Um, one's all emerging market stocks. One's all 
U.S. large cap stock on small. Just I'm just making this up. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the year, whichever one has done the best in terms of positive return, you keep that one in the conversion and you recharacterize the other four. Yep. Um, you definitely what, can do What's that. the difference of doing that and your wife swapping strategy here? Uh, I I think it's it's simpler is the main benefit. Uh, but uh, you you are exactly right. And you can open up a hundred different Roth IRAs if you wanted to, buy a hundred different stocks, and keep only the one that does the best over that that period of time you're looking at it. Now, in my view, I think that's probably maybe less ideal, mainly because um, all assets go in and out of favor. The one that very that performs the very best this year, and the reason why you kept it, can do the very worst next year. So I'm not sure that's the best, in my view, the best strategy, but certainly something you can do and. You can do it all, 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 all day long. Because the swapping strategy you're saying is you get a decline. Um, well, I guess you could still do that with, you can still, you could combine both of the strategies. Yep. You could have, you could have those accounts, um, and then do the re-characterization, have your spouse's account get added. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the main thing is, yes, it, the, Getting into the details of all this is important, but I think taking a details. step taking a step back from that, the reason why you would do it in the first place is because in most cases, and oftentimes, and probably the majority of times in, in instances I, I visit with people, when they're in the beginning phases of retirement or earlier in retirement, they tend to be in a lower tax bracket than they are going to be in, in, in later retirement. So as an example, if you're 60 years old, you just retired, you don't have any earned income anymore. And maybe you don't, your pension doesn't start. You're not taking Social Security because you're not Social Security age yet. You're not 70 and a half, so you have, don't have to take money from your IRA account or 401k. You're simply going to live off the money you've accumulated in your after-tax account. You know, maybe like a taxable joint account or, or something like that. Um, you have very little, very low income, right? That's the time to realize income on purpose because guess what? You're going to pay lower tax then than you will at age 70 and a half or beyond after Social Security for you and your spouse have kicked in after your required minimums kick in from your you know, 401k or IRA. That's the reason why you do it. If you're in a low tax bracket now relative to where you expect to be later, that's why you do it. So you want to make sure you keep it if you do convert. That's the idea because, again, once that year passes, you can't go back in time and, and redo it. You get one right. shot at it. And as long as there's a difference in tax, that means it's a good deal for you. And it's even a good deal uh, if you're paying the tax, frankly, from the IRA itself and not from a taxable account. It's even better if you're paying from the tax from a the tax on the conversion from an outside account. But uh, boy, it's a good thing to do if, if you are in the right zone for it. You don't want to give that up. The, the wealth accumulation difference is significant over time. Well, especially like if you said... That's you pretty much it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if, you're, if you're retired at, at 60 and don't have to start taking distributions for another decade, then you've got yeah. all kinds of time. But like you said, if you, you miss it a year, then you're not getting that back. That's it. I mean, you only have a limited window opportunity, basically, and that, that's precisely right. So that's why it's important to do in the first place, if it's appropriate for you. And again, most folks in that given situation, it generally is appropriate. Um, and, and it isn't one of those things you don't want to do, say you had a million dollars in an IRA at, at 60 years old, right? Normally, you wouldn't want to go ahead and convert the whole thing at one time, because that obviously your incremental tax bracket will go up for every dollar more you take out, out of that, right? In other words... Everything counts as ordinary income when you take it out. So if you took out a million bucks, guess what? You have a very large tax bill that particular year. Usually the best strategy is to fill up your current tax bracket. You know, If you're in the 25% bracket, make sure you're maxing that particular bracket out before you take more. And then uh, another possibility here, boy, if, if the end of the year comes and market's down quite a bit, 
and you've already converted, let's say, but you know next year you won't be able to convert, maybe you do more this year if the market's down than you otherwise would. That way you can get even, even more at a, at a discounted price relative to what prices will be like in the future after recovery. Right, like you, like you and Ken have talked about earlier, that's an opportunity. Yeah, making, making the best of a given situation. Um, thinking back to the crisis of uh, 09 and 08, that's a, exactly what we were doing for some folks who, who understood the, the power of that. You know, converting more than we otherwise had planned to that particular year because stocks were on sale, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, 50% discount. Uh, now we have folks who have a lot of money in Ross, consequently. That's the loveliest thing I've ever heard. It's all tax-free growth after that, right? It's a pretty good deal. So um, you you got to think about these things. Right. Uh, if you're not making, uh, aren't thinking about them, you're really missing the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, Ethan, um, what else do you got? Well, I would do this, too. Um, if you have in a taxable account, let's say, so a non-IRA account, um, you definitely want to be looking out for things that have declined in value over the year. So let's say you have a half-stock, half-bond portfolio again. More likely than not, some of those assets probably have declined in value. Uh, it would be a good idea to go ahead and tax-loss harvest those, in, in my view. Even some of the bonds, for example. If you own a couple of bond ETFs, uh, maybe they've gone down this year. Hey, realize those losses when you can to offset future capital gains. It's a re- very reasonable thing. And by the way, that's something we do throughout the year. We don't wait till the end of the year to do that. We, we, we do that you know, continually in clients' accounts, uh, in, in taxable accounts, that is. Mm-hmm. So that's another pretty good strategy um, as well. And when you're realizing gains, be sure that, uh, if you can anyway, make sure they're long-term and not short-term. Um, we get we um, onboard new clients, obviously, and as we, we do that, we go thoroughly go through their tax situation. Um, and in cases, uh, a lot of cases I see people are... are not real careful about realizing short-term versus long-term gains. Uh, had some adverse effects to their, their taxes, obviously. You know, they're thinking, oh, I'll just pay 15%. Well, if you're in the 25 or 35% bracket, it's going to be higher than that for short-term gains. Right, and I know you mentioned the, the tax loss harvesting. We've had some great opportunities this year. I mean, despite the fact that most of the markets are, are up quite a bit, their uh, bonds, as you mentioned, have had kind of a rough year in emerging markets yeah. earlier in the year as well. Right, right. exactly. Um, Hey, I think we're ready for a break here, but we'll come back and we'll be right back. All right, we'll be right back. Empirical Investing Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. 
Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. And Ethan had to step out, so it's Eric and I for the last segment. We don't need him, Eric. We don't need him. We, we really don't. But, uh, no, Ethan's a great guy, and uh, he had an important meeting he had to get to. Um, we are just talking about, I was having Ethan share some ideas for the, as we are now in the fourth quarter here, and um, potential opportunities or planning things to think about. Um, and we didn't really get too far into it, but one of the ideas will be looking at distributions, uh, estimated distributions for your various investment mutual funds that you have. So one of the one of the things that we do, um, particularly in the fourth quarter of the year, uh, is we start monitoring and getting estimated distributions from the various investment funds that we utilize. And the reason why you would want to do that is typically in a taxable investment account, you if you are, we'll go through a couple scenarios here, Eric, if that's okay. Sure. Let's say you have cash that you want to invest. Um, you you would be, want to be very cautious about putting money into a particular mutual fund. Say it's an equity mutual fund that is going to make a large taxable distribution. Because in essence, the way the math works on that, let's say you were going to buy $10,000 of a particular Fund and it was going to distribute $1,000 of gain. And usually that gain is divided between short-term capital gains, which are taxed at ordinary income rates, and long-term capital gains, which may be taxed at the, your maximum capital gain rate, which going forward will likely be 20% um, on the higher end. So it could be... Could be um, between 39% if you're in the highest marginal tax bracket and 20% somewhere in that range. Um, and so what you would be what would happen is typically you'd have $9,000 of value of the mutual fund after it's made its $1,000 distribution, which most investors set their mutual funds to reinvest if they're not taking the income. And in this case we're not talking about dividend income or interest income, we're just talking about the requirement of mutual funds to distribute the gains that they make throughout the year. So you're left with $9,000 of value of a mutual fund and $1,000 of cash, the total of the 10000 that you put in, but now you're paying, you have a taxable event on $1,000. So 
if you avoided that, if you invested in the fund the day after the distribution, you would have $10,000 of the fund and a zero tax liability at that point. So you just need to be aware of what you're doing. Now, a mistake that, that I've seen people make is say, well, then I'm not going to invest in the market. Well, you you could be giving up a lot more if the market were to make a very rapid inc- uh, price upswing. So you have to be aware of that, that, that there's always the chance that, hey, the market could shoot up 10% while I'm, while I'm waiting on the sidelines. So one strategy would be to, to look at the target fund and make sure that it's not going to make a large taxable distribution. And if it is, um, look at and see if there is a substitute fund uh, that won't, will not be making that large distribution. Another strategy on the reverse of this is you own a fund. You bought a fund, and it's declined in value. And let's say that it was the same $10,000, same fund. We put $10,000 into the fund, and uh, it's declined in value, and now it's worth, say, $9,000, Eric. Right. But the fund, before it declined, had some built-in capital gains, and it was, it's going to make a distribution because maybe it was at 4000 just a couple of years ago, and it's been trading and realize, inside the fund it's going to realize again. Well, one of the things you can do then is you could sell that fund. You have a $1,000 loss in terms of the purchase price to what you're selling it at, and you avoid the taxable distribution on top of it. Now, you have to be careful about getting back into the fund so that you don't run um, awry with wash sale rules that would disqualify you from realizing that loss, which means you can't buy the fund back for a period of time. Generally 30 days. Right. Uh, and one approach we, we take to, to get around this is that for the majority of our positions, we have uh, what we call substitute funds. So a fund that is, uh, you know, tracking the same asset class, um, you know, maybe not, maybe it doesn't, doesn't follow the same exact investment strategy, it doesn't follow the same index, but it still gets you exposure to the same asset class. So switching from a fund that is about to do a large taxable distribution to a, a different fund in the same asset class that maybe is not, maybe it's an exchange-traded fund, um, can be a good strategy to avoid unnecessary taxes. So on that, thanks for clarifying that, Eric. Um, same note, we're talking about tax loss harvesting then. And rather than simply avoiding the distribution or addressing the distribution that a particular fund, and what we're talking about is typically mutual funds, um, and even even as tax-efficient as exchange-traded funds are that get talked about, these are the types of mutual funds that trade all throughout the day. Um, there are certain unique legal structure that enables them to be traded Dated throughout the day, moment to moment, just like a stock is, where traditional open-ended mutual funds, as they're referred to commonly, trade once per day after the close of the market. You need to get your buy or sell in before a specific cutoff time each day, and then you get the they calculate the value of the fund, and that's the price that it closes at. Where exchange-traded funds are, have a different dynamic. 
um, part of their legal structure enables them to be more tax efficient in specific periods of time. So they don't have to distribute as much of the gain. Part of that is because they tend to be more uh, passive in nature as well. So they're not trading a lot inside a lot of the funds. This idea of an active ETF is a more, more recent discussion and innovation that's being being uh, approached, I guess you could say here. Right. But um, they also do distribute gains as well. So it's not that they are guaranteed to distribute no gains. It's still worth checking and understanding what what that would look like. But the idea of tax loss harvesting is a little bit different. It's a it's another level of tax management in your account where you're looking at all the different positions in your taxable account and you're looking at whether you have a gain or a loss on those positions. And if you have a loss, you are accepting or, or transacting in order to, before the close of the tax year, to capture that loss, uh, harvest that loss. And what we typically do is use a the trick of this, again, to not put yourself in a position where you got the loss, but then you were sitting in cash if you wanted to be in an equity asset class that, again, may shoot up a lot. And any you don't want to let the tax tail wag the dog here, I guess is what they always say. At least my accountant does. And... Um, and miss out on on the big picture of you know, earning re- returns in the market because you were out trying to avoid a one percent potential tax cost, and you miss ten percent move. So what you want to do is have a substitute or a particular fund that uh, you can invest in that gives you continued exposure to that investment class. And the more diversified the fund is, and the more focused on a particular investment asset class it is the easier it is to find those substitutes that won't, again, run awry of the tax code because if it's too similar, they'll disqualify the tax loss. Eric, we're running out of time for today's show. We will continue to talk about all these strategies as we get closer and closer to the end of the year. Thanks for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio today. We'll be back next week. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.